We just worship you and we thank you so much, God, that all our life you've been so faithful, so good to us, God. And we just worship you, God, and give you honor today, Lord, for the goodness that you show us, Lord. We don't deserve it, but thank you, God, for your mercy that is new every morning. Thank you for your compassions that fail not. And thank you for this beautiful day you've given us to be with you, Jesus. We pray you bless your word now, anoint it with your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, as we continue our way through this book. And um, good morning, everybody. Aloha to you. What a beautiful day it, ha- it is already, God. I mean, already with God in our lives, God here today and Oh, the rain has subsided, and look at that, yeah. Well, I like the rain, but sometimes too much rain is too much. (laughs) But praise the Lord for the water for the aina, but today we get to be watered by God's Word. Uh, This morning we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3. Come to the fifth letter to the churches, to the church of Sardis this morning. And I've been giving you nicknames for the churches, right? Uh, the first church we saw in chapter 2 was the church of Ephesus, and that was the loveless church, and that's because they left their first love. Secondly, we looked at the church of Smyrna, the languishing church, because they were suffering under severe persecution. The third church we saw in chapter 2 was the church of Pergamum, and that was a lenient church uh, for allowing compromise to come into the body. The fourth church we saw was last time the church of Thyatira, the living for self church, because they were corrupted by sin by allowing themselves to put themselves above God, basically. Well, today we come to the church of Sardis, and I call, I nickname them the lifeless church, the lifeless church. It looked like they were alive, but they were really dead. You know, there's this term, uh, it's, it's a... Uh, said it's called stellar death. And it's talk, it talks about the death of a star, basically. And it could be possible, I thought this was an interesting thought, was that it could be possible that one of the stars that we look at in the night sky, right, it really could be dead. You see, even the nearest stars are like trillions of miles away from Earth. And that brings up this interesting possibility Because the light from that star that we see today was emitted years and years ago. Since stars are so far away, astronomers came up with a measurement called the light year. You guys know what that is, right? One light year is the distance of of how far light will travel in one year. And since light travels at a speed of 186,000 miles per second, one light year is more than 6 trillion miles miles. So that's a lot of miles. Well, all that is to say this, if a star is 30 light years away, so to speak, and that star exploded and died today, you would not see that light go dim for another 30 years because it's so far away in the light traveling. So though the star is really dead, the light from that star would go on shining as if nothing has changed. It looks alive, but it's really dead. Well, that's what Jesus addresses here to the letter of the church of Sardis. They are looking alive, but really dead. That's the title of our message this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at 
Revelation, we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 3 from verse 1 through 6 this morning, taking up this next letter to the church. And we're going to see three things. Number one, the serious diagnosis. Number two, the strong prescription. And number three, the Savior's reassurance. So that's our outline this morning where Jesus addresses the church of Sardis who is looking alive but really dead. Let's look at number one in our outline, the serious diagnosis. The serious diagnosis. And for this, we are going to only be looking at verse one. Those of you taking notes, we're covering verse one in this first heading. Now, in verse 1, take a look with me here, chapter 3 of Revelation. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who is the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. And we'll stop right there. Well, we begin with Jesus once again addressing the letter, this letter to a particular church. And he addresses it beginning saying the angel to the angel of the church in Sardis. So remember we've been covering this every week now even back in chapter 1. That when we speak of the angel when Jesus speaks of the angel that's probably most likely the pastor or the leader of the church. And so he's addressing that pastor leader and as he is going to bring this letter and actually this whole book and present it and read it to the church there in Sardis. Now the church was in this city called Sardis. Uh, you can see on the map once again, we'll put up on the screen. Uh, it's 30 miles now south of Thyatira, and today it's called Sart in Turkey. And as I've been giving you this map, you can follow it, right? Patmos is that little island where John is receiving this revelation, reading the letter. It made its way to Ephesus, traveled to Smyrna, Pergamum, came around now down to Thyatira we saw last week, and now we're at Sardis. So now we're talking about Sardis, the city of Sardis there, and this is where this letter is ending up. Sardis was a wealthy city. It was on a trade route, one of those main cities there. It was a city of industry also, just like Thyatira. It was into making jewelry, clothing, but uh, Sardis was famous. It was known for its art of dyeing wool. And they were known for that. Also, gold and silver were first minted there in Sardis. Well, here in this city, a church was planted. Some believe that perhaps it was when Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus in Acts 19. And perhaps you see Ephesus uh, across there a little bit. That perhaps some people went there. Perhaps there was a church planted, went, witnessed Jesus Christ there. So we don't know exactly, but that might be how that happened. So... This is to the church in Sardis, this letter. And as we go on in verse 1, this letter is from Jesus. And he describes himself again, but in a different way than in all the letters. So look at verse 1. It says, The words of him, which is Jesus, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now that might sound familiar to you. It's because we saw that phrase back in chapter 1. If you take a look in, in chapter 1, over in verse 6. Was it verse 6? Maybe I wrote it down wrong. If you find it, you get a prize today. Four. Was it four? Four. It was four. 
My six looks like a four. It's four. You get a prize. Ooh, Nakashimas. Oh, give him a hand, Nakashimas. Oh, you win. That's your prize. Anyway, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, right at the end. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Remember that phrase we went over that, and we talked about seven is a number of completion. And we talked about spirits, it's really one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it's talking about the fullness of spirit, the fullness of the work of, of the Holy Spirit, the complete work of the Holy Spirit. So here's Jesus now describing himself as the one who gives, who is uh, giving the Holy Spirit here to all to believers. And then he says that he also holds uh, the seven stars. He says, the words of him who has the seven uh, spirits of God and the seven stars in verse 1 of chapter 3. And that's talking about, again, back in chapter 1. Anyone know where? I know, but I'm not telling you. Verse 16, right? Verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars, right? And he explained that in verse 20 of chapter 1, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, seven golden lamps, stands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the pastors. In other words, remember we talked about that, that he, Jesus holds authority over the churches. He's the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, and then Jesus gives life to the church by way of the Holy Spirit. So as we come into this letter, Jesus once again particularly describes himself in a particular way to this particular church for a particular reason. And it's because they are lacking the life of the Holy Spirit in them. And Jesus knows because he's an authority over them and he is the head looking at them. So Jesus is the head of the church. He gives life to the church by way of the Holy Spirit. And isn't that true? It's the Holy Spirit that gives us life today. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us this, this God inside of us and our way of living in God today. In Romans 8, chapter 11, it says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit in your life is vital for our walk with the Lord. And so here's Jesus coming in this way because there was a problem in this church. There's a problem going on. And what was that? Well, look at verse 1 once again, Revelation 3. He says, I know your works. I know everything about you. And he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, the word reputation here would mean like you have a name. You have a title. You have, you have that church name on, on, on the side of your building. You have a name. It looks like you're alive, but in a sense, real sense, you're really dead. There's no spiritual life going on inside of this church. It's all on the out outward. It's not on the inward. You know what's sad here with this church? Jesus goes right to the problem. If you remember many of the other letters, Jesus first talked about a praise, their good works, a commendation. But here he goes right into it, right in verse 1, right into what their problem is, and that is the people in the church, they were like Christians in name only. They're looking alive, but really dead 
They were like, you know what, spiritual zombies walking around. Think about it that way. These guys looked like Christians, they talked like Christians, they acted like Christians, but inside there was nothing. Outwardly, they professed Jesus, but inwardly, there was nothing there. There was no heart for Jesus. There was no motive in there. They were just going through the motions. And so this is the serious diagnosis here for this church. The church looks alive on the outside, but is really spiritually dead on the inside. That's what's going on. This is what Jesus is presenting right here, right now, with this church in Sardis. Uh, Sony recently uh, updated the software on their eyeball robot dog. I don't know if you heard about uh, their robot dog. They, they made this little dog. It's a little robot. And they updated the uh, software on it. Um, you can buy this dog for like three, almost $3,000. And, and, and guys talk about saying, oh, it's great because you don't have to take it out for walks or feed it every day or clean up after the dog. The thing is, the battery only lasts about two hours. <laughs> but it, it's, this robot dog is built with sensors and cameras and everything. And the dog, you can train the dog. The dog will shake your hand. He'll sit down. He'll, he'll play dead. Play dead. Dog goes, whoop. You know, it, it'll lay down. It'll beg. You know, it'll roll over. And with this new update they're talking about, it'll actually wait for you to get home, say, from work. And it'll wait at the door. Crazy, yeah? All this uh, new AI robotic stuff that's coming out. But you know what I was thinking? Though this dog is a robot, basically, right? All pre-programmed, pre-programmed. Does it really wait for you? You know, does the dog really, like, wait in expectation, like, it wants to be with you? Does the dog really sit there like, oh, it, it cares or it loves its master? No, it's a pre-programmed robot. The dog may kind of look alive and act like they're alive, but in reality, the dog is not alive. It's just a robot. Well, that's Sardis here. That was the city, uh, church of Sardis here. They were going through the motions. They were robotic in the things that they did. They looked alive, but they were really dead inside. You know, is that you today? You come to church, you go through the motions, raise your hands as like, oh, the song says raise your hands. Or I know in this course, I always raise my hands. And you know, that's pre-programmed, you know, in you. And you just do it just because it's sort of like a ritual to you. Are you maybe some Christian robot? Or you look like you're alive, but you're really dead inside. There's no Holy Spirit life in there. It's something to think about. Something to search our hearts about too. Is that you? So this is number one, the serious diagnosis for this church. We're looking alive, but really dead. Let's go to number two. The strong prescription. The strong prescription. We're going to be covering verse 2 and 3 here in this section. And let's read both of those verses. Jesus goes on and says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, 
In these two verses, Jesus calls out really for the remedy. He prescribes a strong prescription, you can say. And there's four things, four remedies, four prescriptions that Jesus gives that we're going to see. And number one is, wake up and do something. Wake up now. Wake up and do something. He says, verse 2, wake up and strengthen for uh, what remains and is about to die. Wake up. Don't be caught sleeping here. Wake up to what's going on and strengthen. There's still some there that aren't fully dead yet. There's still some that there's still some life inside of them. And wake up to this fact that, you know what? Things are not as good as you think. I think that's what was going on. I think they thought, well, hey, I'm okay. We do these things. Yeah, we have the name on the building. But inside, there was no life. You know what's interesting here is um, Jesus uses these words like, wake up, in that sense, and strengthen what remains. Because the original city of Sardis years ago was this huge city. It was a, a king was over it. And they thought that this city was uh, uh, untakeable, unconquerable, impenetrable. For they were on this bluff about 1,500 feet high. Uh, they're surrounded three sides with vertical cliffs, so there's only like one way in. You could guard that well. But Sardis actually in its history was sacked twice when enemy soldiers climbed up the cliffs. And they found a way in. They, these soldiers came in, climbed up the cliffs, got in, and opened the gates and let the rest of the army in. So twice the city was defeated in that way. The watchmen of that city thought things were okay. And they fell asleep to the real condition of what was going on there. So this is the church of Sardis. They need to wake up. Things are not going so good. And I think that's something we need to think about. How is our spiritual state today? How are you today? Examine yourselves, Paul says. Test yourself. Test your faith. And I think that's good for every one of us, no matter where you are in, in your walk with the Lord, that we would look inside and see, are we dying spiritually somewhere? Or maybe you are dying spiritually. Maybe you'll come here and go, just go through the motions, do your thing, and then leave. It's time to wake up, to strengthen what remains, to get back to God. And so number one is wake up and do something. Do something. Number two, don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. He goes on here in verse 2, he says, For I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Sardis has stopped growing. They're not complete. They went only so far. They stopped moving forward, so they started to die. And in the sight of God, in other words, they stopped short of what God really wanted for them. So, Jesus is saying, Look, don't stop here. Keep moving. Keep growing. These guys did not finish what they set out to do. Here's another thing about Sardis in, in, this, in this city. 
Sardis was famous for a temple there. It was a, a, one of the largest temples in the world at that time. And it was a temple to Artemis, or we may know it more uh, as Diana. I think that was a, the Roman uh, god name for Artemis. And it was one of the largest temples. And today there's still some ruins left. There's columns still standing. But at the time, Sardis, even at the time of the writing here, the temple had been there like 500 years now. It's, it, it took like a long time for them to build and over the centuries and everything. But even after 500 years, the temple was never finished. Some say it, it wasn't, but they talk about, well, that was just the outer part, you know, just the outside what people can see. But inside, this temple was never finished. So here's Jesus saying, kind of relating to the guys living in this city saying, hey, I know you. I, I, I'm sorry, I have not, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God. Are you like that? You started out with the Lord, but you never followed through. You started out in some way, but you never really completed what you set out to do. And that's really give your life to God. Really. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't settle for less here. Keep moving forward. So wake up and do something. Don't settle for less. And number three, live out today what God gave you, what God gave in the past. Live out today what God gave in the past. Look at verse three. Remember then what you received and heard. Remember, go back now to what you had Receive what you believe, what you started to believe and heard, the Word of God. Get back to the Word of God and start living that today. What God gave you in the past, get back to that. Get back doing that. Historically, the city of Sardis, was, uh, before the Roman Empire in the past, it was a great city. By the time the Romans came and took it, it had all dwindled down. It wasn't that great. Everything had passed. It's, you can say its glory days were gone by the time the Romans took it. And at the time of this writing, the glory days were gone. But it was once this incredible, great, strong city. But now it's all past. Historically, remember I said the letters are, are, are not just practically to the church at that time. They're also historically, we, we see how it kind of relates to church history and the ages and the periods of church. And also it speaks to us personally. Well, historically, commentators believe the church, this church of Sardis represents the church in the kind of 1700s and 1800s, the late, later 1700s into 1800s, when the Reformation, after the Reformation, the church turned into a lot of rules, uh, rituals, empty rituals, religion, and there wasn't that real heart and soul in it. They basically were resting on the past achievements. Vance Havner once said that some ministries go through four stages. A man a movement, a machine, and then a monument. And if you think about it, that can happen, and that has happened in many movements of the past. And that's what happened to the Reformation movement as it moved into the, the years later on. Well, Sardis was at the monument stage. It was getting into this monument stage. And so it was 
resting on the past glories, on the past achievements. How about you today? Do you just rest on the past glories? Resting on, oh yeah, and you know, when I came to Jesus, da da da, this happened. Or, or, you know, when I was baptized, this and this happened. But then there's no other experiences with God after that. Don't think that that's enough. The past experiences are okay. No, God is saying, live out today what God gave you in the past. Begin to remember what He gave you. Get back to the Word and continue to have new experiences in God today. Don't rest on the past. Don't rest on, oh yeah, 10 years ago I was with the Lord and that's all you talk about. How about today? What is God doing in your life today? I'll tell you, today He can work miracles. Today He can answer prayer. Today He can continue to free you from that habitual sin and flesh that we battle with. Just like he did years ago, maybe when he freed you from drugs or, or alcohol. He can go deeper into you now. So live out today what God gave in the past. Number four, the last remedy, the last prescription is this. Fully commit now before Jesus comes. So Jesus says, first of all, in verse 3, well, the, in the middle, he says, keep it and repent. Keep it means obey the word. Keep following the word. Repenting of your sin. Turn from your sin, in other words, and fully commit your life over to God, obeying his word. Here's the thing. Jesus is saying, look, revive that deadness by coming once again, to God, once again to God. Revive that deadness by going to the Word, obeying it, being filled with the Spirit, and come alive again. Here's another thing about Sardis. Just as outside the city was a famous hot springs, people came from all over to, you know what? Be healed. To be healed. They, many of them had ailments that were terminal. And, and they wanted, they believed, and it was, it was, that was the, the saying, you know, go to the hot springs and soak in there, and then, and then you'll be risen from the dead. Jesus, and, and, and actually that's why around Sardis is a whole bunch of graves, because it didn't really work, <laughs> sadly. But think about Jesus now, relating to the guys in Sardis, saying, look, you remnant, you guys, there's still life in you. Get back to that place where the Holy Spirit is giving life to your soul. Where the living water is coming into you and flowing out. And you're alive. And isn't that what revival is? When the Holy Spirit comes down, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the people and suddenly they're repenting, suddenly they're turning to God and they're alive, they're on fire for God. And that's what we need that's what we need today. You and I, we need the living water in our souls. We need the Holy Spirit to revive us from our deadness. That we may come alive with passion for God, with a love for the lost, with the fire of the Spirit on our heads and out of our, our lives. That's what we need to bring the deadness to life. But in all this, Jesus calls out in love. He warns, right? He says in verse 3, he says, If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, 
and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. He warns if you don't wake up, if you don't repent, if you don't revive yourself and take this prescription, he says, if you don't, I'm going to come like a thief. I'm going to come where you're taken by surprise. That's what that saying means. Where you're taken by surprise, it'll be a shock. It'll be totally unexpected when he comes. You want to know something interesting? When the, uh, you know, historically when the soldiers came and climbed up the cliff and took the city by surprise and opened the gates for the enemy soldiers, you know what? They use that phrase. They use that phrase that this happened like a thief. They were attacked like a thief. They were overtaken like a thief. It was, it was a phrase that they used. And so Jesus is using that same phrase. And so what is this? Well, there's two ways to look at what Jesus is saying here. Number one, it could be that Jesus is saying, wake up, commit to God, for soon he's going to come in judgment. That Jesus will come and judge this church and judge those in it who look alive, but they're really dead. A second way we can look at it is that we need to wake up and commit to God because soon Jesus will come like a thief in the rapture of the church. It's another way to look at it. We need to wake up either way. We need to wake up and do something about the deadness in our hearts. Turn over to uh, Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, and look at verse 11. Romans 13, 11. The Apostle Paul writing here, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. This is our call. This is Jesus speaking to the church today that we need to wake up. Wake up from the sleep. Wake up from our sleepiness and living for ourselves. Wake up from the sleepiness of of living in the flesh. Wake up and stop going in this direction. Stop accepting, settling for less. Wake up and live for God for salvation is nearer to us now, uh, more near than when we first Believe Jesus is coming soon, you guys. I feel it. I see it. We see the, the news every day. We see our world turning. We see things being even more fulfilled. Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? We need to wake up and stop living for ourselves, living in the flesh. We need to do something. We need to do all that Jesus has been telling us. Wake up, do something. Don't settle for less. Live out today what God gave you in the past and fully commit to Jesus. And let me tell you, Jesus isn't saying this today in Revelation 3 as a message to you today, not to condemn you, but to reach you. Not to bring you down, but to bring you up. He's saying this because He loves you. Do you know that? He doesn't want you to stay in this state. He wants to save you. He, he wants to rescue you from that deadness that's killing you. That, that walking around like a spiritual zombie, that, 
that's not, that's not life. Think about this, how, how Pergamum had allowed right, sin to come in. They allowed compromise. Next thing you know, Thyatira, it's in there. Yeah? It's, it, there. it's in there. It's corrupted the church. And they're all into themselves. And then when you come to Sardis here, look at the next stage. They're dead. They look alive, but they're dead. You don't want that to happen. Jesus loves you, and so this is a call to revival. You guys, this should be the time that we're praying like we never prayed before. This should be the time that we're seeking God like we never have before. That we're, we're, we're going to the meetings, that, that we're, we're involved. This is a time that, that you're linking together in fellowship. This is a time that you're seeking God like never before, right now. Because... Jesus is coming soon. We've got to wake up to that fact. This is a call to revival so you and I would not be looking alive but really dead. Let's go to number three now. The Savior's reassurance. The Savior's reassurance. And this will cover the rest of the verses here, verse 4 through 6. But first, look at verse, verse 4 and 5. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So here's Jesus coming in, giving reassurances this is the savior's reassurances and and this is for believers the true believers the ones the remnant there that are still alive there there seems to be some believers i don't know how many maybe a few that are still there with the lord so jesus gives three reassurances reassurances here and number one is you're clothed in white you're clothed in white he says here in verse 4, Yet you have, a, you have still a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments. In other words, muddied their clothes with sin. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And I love that, you guys, because in Christ, we are clothed in white. Because of Christ dying on the cross and rising again, we have been clothed with his white robes of righteousness. And that's what Christ is talking about. The true believers are clothed in those robes ready for heaven. He's saying, look, you believed in me. You, you trust in my atonement. And you guys are clothed in white. And you will be when you're with me, when I come, when I take you home to be in heaven. You will be clothed. Isn't that great to know? I mean, I know that we mess up. I know that sometimes we, we fail God or we stumble here and there. But did you know that Christ's blood covers all your sin? Now, that's not excuse for sin. Paul talks about it in Romans 6. It's not excuse, oh, well, I can sin so that grace may abound. No. That's, that's not what it is. What he's saying is, is that his blood covers not just sin that you committed before you were saved, but even after you're saved, all the way up to you go home in heaven. 
And with that, we have been justified. We've been clothed with those robes of righteousness. We have been officially declared righteous. And when the Father looks upon you because of your belief in Christ, He sees you as righteous. There's a song um, um, by uh, Mercy Me, and it's called Flawless. And I love that, you know, because we're flawless before the Lord. Isn't that beautiful to know? Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're not sinners here. But officially, our status before God is that we're righteous. I don't know about you, that, that just comforts my soul. That when Jesus looks at me, I have those right, white robes on me right now. So know that today. So Jesus says, look, you guys are clothed in white. You're robed ready for heaven. Number two, He reassures him, you will have a place in heaven. You will have a place in heaven. He goes on here and he says in in, uh, verse 5, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I love that. Jesus says, the one who conquers, the one who believes, the one who is not dead inside, but is alive in the Spirit, Jesus says, look, you know what? I will never blot your name out of the book of life. What is the book of life? Well, it's a registry, basically, a heavenly registry of every person who is saved in Jesus Christ. That's the idea here. Every person who is saved, that's the book of life. Now, Revelation 20.12 mentions many books. Like many books were, were open, and also the, the book of life. Uh, Moses mentioned a, a book of life, or many commentators believe that's more the book of the living, those who are uh, alive at the time. But here, when Jesus refers to the book of life, he's talking about a book of a roster of names of everybody who has believed in Jesus and has Uh, salvation and has eternal life and he says look i'm never gonna blot your name out of this book you're clothed in white you believe in me you're atoned you're you have a place in heaven he's saying be assured be reassured that you have that place in heaven your name is in the book of life now just because he says i will never blot your name out of the book of life don't assume that that means that jesus can blot your name that's not what scripture says or that he might do that that's not what we see here you know what notice jesus is not giving a threat here yeah he's not saying you better watch out or or, you know what i'm gonna blot your name out no jesus is not giving a threat jesus is giving you a promise and his promise is that i will never take your name out of that book of the saved people As in all ancient cities, Sardis has a registry of citizens. When a person dies, that person's name would be erased or blotted out of that city's registry. So so what Jesus is saying, as he speaks to believers in Sardis, he's saying, you know what, as citizens of heaven, death is not a cause for your name to be taken out of this book. Instead, it's going to be this way of entrance. Instead, your name is guaranteed to be in that book. You are guaranteed to 
be a citizen of heaven. So Jesus says you will be clothed in light. You will have a place in heaven. You will be welcome in. in uh, uh, number three, I'm sorry, is you will be welcome into heaven. So the third, third assurance is you will be welcome into heaven. Look here now in verse five. At the end, he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Jesus saying that he will confess, he will, he will say your name. He will, he will say your name before the heavenly father and his angels. He's going to acknowledge you. He's going to welcome you. He's going to receive you as one of his, as one of the citizens of heaven. He's going to say, this one? This one's mine. This one belongs here. That's what he's saying in this sense. You know, we've been watching lately some uh, masterpiece theater kind of TV series, and, and they're set in uh, England like a long time ago, and, and in, in, in the high society status. I was thinking about this um, like in the Victorian era when, when a person enters a room, say at some gathering or something like that, the butler will actually announce that person, right, entering the room, like the, the Earl of so-and-so or, or Lady so-and-so, right, in, in, in presenting that person there and honoring them and welcoming them into that whole room. I was thinking about, maybe that's what this is. Jesus will, will do that for us, confess our name yeah, before everyone in heaven welcoming us. And so Jesus is assuring everyone, every believer, true believer, that you are a member of the heavenly family. Be assured here today, as you have Christ in you, as Christ's blood covers you, be reassured. As the Holy Spirit witnesses and confirms this in your heart that, that Jesus died for you and covers your sin, that no matter what may happen, you walk out of this room, whatever happened to us today, that we will be with Jesus. That we happen to be in an accident, or if the rapture comes right now, wouldn't that be great? Right now, Lord. You will be with Him. Know that. And I want to point out one more thing here. In verse 4, look what he says at the end. For they are worthy. I don't feel worthy, but Christ makes me worthy. But let me put this thought in your mind. You are of worth to God. You are of worth to Jesus. Sometimes you feel like you have no worth in this world or to other people. Perhaps other people treat you like you have no worth. But you know what? Jesus says they are are worthy. You are worthy to me. Because I died for you. I made you righteous. And if I died for you, and I did also, you can be righteous. You're of worth to me. Well, Jesus encloses out this letter with verse 6, and it's what he's been saying in all the letters, right? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what I've been saying Everyone has ears, but not everybody really hears what God is saying. Are you hearing what God is saying today? Are you listening 
to His voice? Will you respond? That's what He's saying. Are you going to hear what He wrote in this letter to the church? Not just back then, but today to you and I. We're the church. It's not one building, right? It's the people. And He's talking to you and I today. It's a message for us today. Are we hearing? Are we listening? Or are we just going to walk out of here and go on in our deadness? Think about that, you guys. Are you alive in Jesus today? Or are you just going through the motions? Do you feel dead inside? You've just been surviving, existing, spiritually, but not really living? Jesus is saying, Hey, turn. Get back to the Word. Seek me. Find the assurance that, no, you're, you're, you'll be with me, so why live like this? I'll close with this. About 100 years ago, a ship was discovered drifting in the Arctic Ocean. The crew was found at their posts, some in their hammocks and cabins, but they were all frozen to death. The captain was frozen in place, making his last entry in his log, his logbook, and that logbook actually showed the vessel had been drifting among the icebergs for 13 years, all in the Arctic there. Crazy, huh? The writer called all this a drifting tomb manned by a frozen crew. You know, let's not drift through life, frozen in our deadness. Let's not be like this church, these guys, looking alive, but really dead. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, and our Savior, we thank you for the provision you've made for us for our sins, Lord. We thank you that we can come to you at any time and have forgiveness and you cleanse us. It's not excuse for sin, but Lord, I'm so glad that there is still atonement for my failures today. And God, we confess them. God, we ask that you would cleanse us and and forgive us and make us new today. That at this moment, Lord, as we have been reading this, Lord, that you would revive the deadness in our soul, Lord. God, like a a gardener that strips off the dead leaves, God, strip off the deadness, Lord. Strip off those things, Lord, that have been taking us backwards, Lord. Strip off those things that have been corrupting us and and really bringing more deadness into our soul. Lord, strip off those things that, God, have been of the flesh and not of you. And so, Lord, make us alive today. And I pray right now, I ask Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would come and follow, fall upon us once again. That you would fill us, Lord. That you would baptize us, God. That you would once again, like the church when the church was born in Acts 2, that that would happen right now as we close up this service, as we worship you, Lord, that we would come alive like never before in our whole Christian walk, that you would use, Lord, your word today, God, to bring us out of the deadness but into your life, that you would raise us up, Holy Spirit, just as you raised Christ up, Lord, and that you would give life, to us. Oh God, we yearn for you. We want you more and more. So I ask God, I seek Lord, I keep knocking God.
for the filling of your spirit in each one of our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.